Well, let's take your Bible, would you please, and go with me to Proverbs chapter 6. I want to just share uh, with you a, a study on um, what's traditionally known as the seven deadly sins. And we're just going to take one at a time over the next few weeks, and um, I'll share the second one this evening, seven deadly sins. The thing about that is um, I remember always hearing about this, the seven deadly sins and the uh, seven godly virtues, and um, sometimes people even memorize them. How many could recite the seven deadly sins? You know them by heart? Maybe not. Okay. Yeah, not something normally uh, you put to memory growing up. Um, but let me talk to you a little bit about them, and I want to share uh, where where we find uh, this in Scripture, or th- this first one anyway. One misconception about the deadly sins is that many people think that they are unforgivable. They're like mortal sins. If you commit it, then you can't go to heaven. Um, but we know that's not the case. There's only one sin uh, that God will not forgive, as I understand the teaching to the Bible, and that's the sin of unbelief, to die without believing on Christ. Uh, certainly salvation cannot occur until we believe on him. But the idea of lists of sin is not foreign to you, I'm sure. This is another list right here in Proverbs chapter 6, and verse, uh, beginning verse 16. There are, not, uh, there are seven things, but they're not exactly the same as we'll share with the seven deadly sins, the traditional seven deadly sins, but there are a few that uh, are in both lists. So Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16, these six things the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination to him. And notice here, uh, each one of them is kind of connected with the part of the human anatomy, a proud look, or maybe proud eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies. It's kind of the the tongue there, the mouth. And one who sows discord among the brethren. That one more of an action of like the the sower casting out these seeds of discord. Interesting couple things about this. uh, They're all connected with the the human body, something we can all kind of relate to. And maybe that was to help people memorize uh, these ideas here, these uh, uh, sins. But notice that, that on the list... Pride, in verse 17, comes before murder in the last phrase of verse 17. I wonder if there's any suggestion there that maybe pride is a more serious, thank you. Am I getting louder here? Is it just me? Pride is a serious sin, maybe even more serious than murder itself. And that brings me to this idea of what makes these seven sins deadly. Not the ones in chapter 6, verses 16 through 19 that we've just read, but the traditional list of seven deadly sins. What I think makes them deadly is that none of them is illegal. You can commit all of them and live a perfectly normal life and be a a good employer, an employee, a citizen of our country. Uh, No one will think badly of you uh, because these are often sins of the heart, which is why they're so deadly. There's a way to remember them that I've worked on, and I want to share with you, because uh, even though these don't occur in any singular list in the scriptures, all are taught, and they are a traditional list that goes back to the 6th century, Um, but it spells out the word, it makes no sense, I know, but here's, it spells out the word peg-lags, P-E-G-L-A-G-S, think of a pirate that couldn't spell or something, you know, Uh, peg-leg the pirate, but it's peg-lags, and so we have pride, envy, Gluttony, there's the peg, and then the lags is lust, anger, greed, and sloth. 
Those are the seven traditional deadly sins. Now, none of them, as I've mentioned, are ones that um, you could go to jail over. But that's the nature of their deadliness. They're generally tolerated, and some portions of our culture even welcomed. Uh, but all of them can lead or are the basis of pretty much all the other sins. There was a study that MTV did years ago and interviewed different people, celebrities, about these seven deadly sins just to see what they thought of them. And uh, one rap singer uh, was interviewed, and uh, they told her the list uh, uh, and mentioned all that these were considered deadly sins uh, by some churches. And the response was, pride is a sin? I wasn't aware of that. One actress responded, I don't think pride is a sin. I think some idiot made that up. <laughs> uh, another rapper was interviewed, and he said of, of anger uh, that it's necessary to have anger. You have to release this tension because life brings tension. We release our anger when we make our records. When we did Cop Killer, we were angry, and the cops got angry back. And, of course, uh, even in the film and, and industry, we see these seven deadly sins as viewed as almost important. Um, one actor said in one movie that of the topic of greed, greed is good. Greed is good. Well, so we realize that the culture doesn't always understand or appreciate the nature of these sins. And in fact, as, I, as we've seen, and as I'm sure you could say too, they're actually considered an important part of the culture, of your success, of your uh, ab ability to accomplish what you want to do in life. Um, one conclusion of the presentation that I just mentioned was that one person said, no sin is as evil as the killjoy attitude of those who think sin is an absolute standard that offends a holy God. <laughs> That's the greatest sin of all, one person said. The greatest sin of all is believing that there's a holy God that could be offended by these so-called sins. Um, that's perversion, perversion of the culture. People love their sin. We love our sin if we're honest about it. And that's why the scripture enjoins us to fight it, to mortify it, to put it to death, and live in victory through Jesus Christ. The thing about sin is, if you don't realize you're a sinner, you're not going to take any efforts to be cured of it. If you don't realize you've got cancer or don't believe you've got cancer, you're probably not going to get any help for it, right? It's painful. It's a long, enduring process. It's horrible in many cases. If you're not sick, or I should say this, if you don't believe you're sick, you're not going to be looking for a cure. And that's the deadly nature of sin. Uh, people don't realize it's sickness. They don't realize it's, it's terminal quality that it will destroy. There was a poll done on the, the seven deadly sins in the culture. And um, the number one sin of all the seven that I mentioned that people said they struggled with the most was, any guesses out there? Do you remember what I told you? Oh, the same again. Here we go. Pride, envy, gluttony, lust, anger, greed, sloth. Which one do you think people struggle with the most in, uh, in contemporary culture? I would have thought gluttony would have been up there too, but I don't think people uh, necessarily want to admit that perhaps. What did you say, pride? That wasn't number one, but that was number three. Number one was lust. Number one was lust. 35% of those in a poll said they struggle with lust. Anger, number two, at 18%. Pride, 12%. And down to uh, greed, which was the last. One theologian who lived many, many years ago, Thomas Aquinas, said of pride, it is an inordinate self-love and the cause of every sin. 
The root of pride is found to consist in man not being in some way subject to God and his rule. Aquinas believed that pride is at the root of every sin. Because if sin is rebellion against God and desire to do my own thing, then pride is always central to that. If we read of the fall of Satan in Isaiah chapter 14, we find that Satan wanted to lift himself up and be as God. In fact, above the stars of God. And it was his pride that led to his being cast out as the highest of all God's angelic creatures. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So I'm going to talk to you today about something over which I claim no mastery. That is the sin of pride. It simply means to act arrogantly. It means to put yourself ahead and your opinions ahead of others. It's a self-conceit. One pastor said that pride, the idolatrous worship of self, is the national religion of hell. And, of course, we can go to Isaiah and talk about how that may very well be true. You think about pride. Someone's going to steal something. Why are they going to do that? They're going to steal because they don't think that other person should have what they have. Mm. I should have it. Uh, I'm entitled. I deserve this. I need it, and I'm going to steal it, and I'm going to take it. Um, It's a sin of adultery. I deserve this. I deserve pleasure. I deserve to entitle myself to what I want, and I'm going to get it, even if it hurts a lot of people. person who lies. I lie, perhaps, because I don't want people to know the truth about me. I want them to think better about me. I want them to think that I'm more than I really am, and they lie. Or I don't want to get in trouble. Even though I deserve it, I don't want to get into trouble, and pride is behind even lying as well. Pride is very competitive sin. It's always comparing. How are other people doing around compared to me? Where, where should I be by now? And pride exalts ourself. Uh, Pastor Haddon Robinson, I've read some of, several of his books, a, a great preacher. Uh, those of you who've studied any of his works are familiar with the idea of his premise of the big idea in preaching. Always have one main idea uh, in your messages. But he's, he told the story of a young woman who went to her pastor. And the young woman said to him, I have a besetting sin, pastor, and I need your help. I come to church on Sunday, and I just can't help believing that I'm the prettiest girl in the congregation. I, I know I shouldn't think like that. I just can't help it. I just want you to help me with this. The pastor replied, Mary, don't worry about it. In your case, it's not a sin. It's just a horrible mistake. <laughs> well, that's what pride does to us. It makes us look a lot better than we think we are. <laughs> well, God hates the sin of pride. We've already read about that in Proverbs chapter 6. God hates these. A proud look. A proud look. Proud eyes, looking down at others, lifting myself up. We might say looking at down our noses at someone or looking down on them from our ivory throne. You know, the idea of uh, self-exaltation. Basically, pride says, I can do it myself. I don't need anybody's help. And it generally operates under, I, I did it my way. Remember that old song? I did it my way. That's the heart of pride. I don't need your help, and I did it the way I wanted to have it done. And that's the root of lying, cheating, and stealing 
and so many other destructive sins in our lives. Would you go with me now to Luke chapter 18? We'll spend the rest of our time here. In the New Testament, the Lord Jesus told a story, a parable, that may have been based in something that actually happened. It certainly could have happened and probably happens all the time. It's often called the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Pharisee means to be separated. He was a separatist. He was extremely religious. He was conservatively religious. Uh, there was a liberal religious element in those days, the Sadducees. They denied the resurrection. They denied the supernatural. They denied whatever didn't happen in the first five books of Moses. And, and uh, they denied a lot of things that, uh, that the, the Pharisees did acknowledge. What did Jesus say about this parable? Let's talk about this. Verse 9 of Luke 18. Also he, that is Jesus, spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. There's pride right there. They trusted in themselves and despised others. So there's a self-exaltation at the same time putting others down. That's the heart of pride. No one's greater than I. So he says in verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector or a publican. Not Republican, it was publican, okay? Make sure you get that right. And that was a person who collected taxes. Now, the Pharisees were generally regarded very highly by the Jewish people. They, were, they looked good. They sounded good. They were conservative in the sense that they believed everything God said. They studied the scriptures, and they taught it. And some of the scribes were with the, with the Pharisees and were highly regarded in that era in ancient Israel in Jesus' day. But Jesus had the strongest and harshest words for these people because what they, what they appeared to be outwardly was exactly the opposite of what they were inwardly. They were very proud and arrogant people. They took advantage of widows and orphans. Uh, they did not put God's things first. They emphasized lots of little uh, me, uh, trivial almost uh, parts of the Mosaic law, tithing and, and uh Every little mint leaf in a garden, they, they take a total number of them, they count off 10%, and they put those 10 little, you know, they tithe of everything uh, in, in, in a very obsessive way. But Jesus said, you've, you've forgotten the greater things like mercy and judgment, justice. You, 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 you strain out a little gnat, but you swallow a camel. You, you just don't get it. So this is what Jesus is talking about. So everyone in the audience would, would, would think, if there was a mixed group here listening, would have thought, well, yeah, he's a religious guy. We, we, we like that guy. We like him. He's a Pharisee. I've got a fa favorite Pharisee, and, and I look to him. But then he said a tax collector, these two men. Now, when the tax collector was mentioned, that would have not brought positive, meaningful thoughts and feelings to the, to the audience. They would have thought, ooh, one of those. Now, the tax collectors were in and of themselves not evil people. They were fellow Jewish people. They weren't Gentiles. They were Jewish people. And the Romans would hire them to collect the taxes from their own people, which was a good bit of wisdom on their part, because then the anger and rebellion and rejection of the whole tax-collecting system would be directed at their own fellow Jew, the guy that collected the money. I mean, who are you going to be mad at? The guy who's actually taking the money out of your pocket or the guy he sends it to? The guy that's robbing your pocket, so to speak. The, fair, uh, the uh, tax collectors were, had to uh, tax people a certain amount, from, and the Roman government specified that. And if they wanted to charge more, that's fine. They could keep the profit. 
They can keep their so-called commission, but they had to give a certain amount to Rome every, every year. And so these people tended to become greedy. They tended to be, take advantage of their own fellow Jewish people and to be really treated like traitors. They were traitors to their own country by aligning themselves with those evil, hateful Romans. So they were not loved. They were considered in the lowest part of society, down where with the shepherds and the, and the harlots. They were not loved at all and were really despised. So Jesus said both of these people, the highly respectable Pharisee who can do no wrong and the despised tax collector go up to the temple, both of them to pray to God. And then Jesus continues in verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And that was his prayer. Now, uh, you can imagine maybe he's, he notices the tax collectors right there next to him. and He doesn't want to get too close to him. But how many times did he say I there? That's quite a few. It's at least four times. I, I, I. I thank you that I'm not like those other people. I thank you that I'm, I'm so faithful at tithing of all that I do, focusing all of his work, all of his performance, how great and wonderful he was. And the tax collector. Notice the difference here. The tax collector rate, um, uh, standing afar off. What's that signify? A little bit of humility there. I'm not worthy to get close to the presence of God. I'm going to stand afar off and pray. Would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. That kind of implies maybe the Pharisee had. You know, you know hands up, looking up, and you know, making a real scene there. But the tax collector with head bowed wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. Again, another mark of humility. But beat his breast, signifying what? What's, he, what's, what's that mean? What, what, what could that possibly mean in, in, in a prayer? Um, hitting yourself, beating yourself. Right, in a sense, uh, kind of a contrition, um, ashamed, uh, feeling unworthy. He does it on his own. There's no command in the scriptures to do that when you pray, but he did it on his own. And then he says in a very brief prayer, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you could write a whole sermon just on that prayer. The idea of merciful, the word mercy, uh, same use of the mercy seat of the Old Testament. Uh, be, be placated, be, be satisfied, Lord, as the sacrifice at the mercy seat, the sprinkling of the blood by the high priest on the day of atonement. Be satisfied in your mercy for me, a sinner. It's a prayer of confession. It's a prayer of humility. It's a prayer of unworthiness. It's a, it's a lowering of himself before the presence of a holy God. And what does Jesus conclude? I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For whoever, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Two thoughts I want to share with you from this text. One, you are guilty of pride when you depend upon your own merit and not on God's grace. When 
when you evaluate every month at the Lord's Supper or at other opportunities, when you have a chance to look into your own heart and inspect it and see where you stand before God, if you immediately begin focusing on all your good works, all the things that you have accomplished, that may be an indicator that there's a lot of pride there. Because pride always wants to produce from our own internal storehouse that which we've done well. And it denies and ignores all the wickedness that remain. But you bring out the good stuff. Here's all the good stuff. I've probably got ten times more bad stuff, but here's the good stuff, and I'm going to bring that out. And, and so, God, please take note of that. You know, I've done so many good things for people. I've done so many good things in my home and with my church and my family and on my job. I just can't help but think of all the wonderful things I've done. What a great person I am. That's the pride. When we evaluate ourselves, our evaluation should be very close to the evaluation of this tax collector. God, I am a sinner. You know, when you read the biographies of the great Christian leaders of the past, and there's plenty of those available, and, and they're well worth our reading and understanding where these people were. Almost every one of them, from the, the reformers to the missionaries, David Brainerd and such, uh, William Carey, as, you, as they really open up what's in their heart, they are always consumed by one thing, and that is the immensity of their own sinfulness. And you read the book, you think, wow, why would he think that? He was a great guy. I mean, he was humble. He was faithful. He loved the Lord. He spent time. He memorized the word. You know, you read about how people used to memorize God's word in the last uh, century or so. Great passages put to memory. And we're, we're ashamed, in a sense, when we compare ourselves to what they did. And they always, uh, Fanny Crosby, always saw themselves as, as desperately wicked and miserable apart from the grace of God. Pride says, God, I look pretty good. I've got to admit, I look pretty good. And God says, I hate that. I despise that. I reject it. That is abominable to me. Abominable. Toe ball is a Hebrew phrase, toe ball, that's used throughout the Old Testament of things that are morally detestable to God. One of those sins, among many, is homosexuality. God says, that is toe ball to me. It is morally repulsive. God says the exact same thing about pride in Proverbs chapter 16, if you look at uh, Proverbs chapter 6. It is morally repulsive. I turn away from that. I hold you at a distance. You cannot come nigh me with this. Now, we're not saying that some sins are worse than others. Uh, because we know that all sin is obviously uh, punished by, uh, by Christ, um, death on the cross. We know that all sin brings God's wrath and has to be forgiven. But some sins have a greater um, weight as far as their consuming quality in our lives and have a greater ability to destroy the lives of others and to destroy us as well. And pride, though it is, it is not illegal in any law that I'm aware of in any country, is perhaps the worst. For pride opens us up to all kinds of sin. God says, I am repulsed by that. He says in James, uh, I, I hold the, the proud, uh, to, to the proud, I hold them at a distance. He resists them. I resist the proud. But the humble, I draw near to. 
draw them near. I bring them to you. I come close to them. God hates pride. Second thought from this passage is you can repent of your pride and be forgiven, or you can be broken by God. If we will repent of our pride, like the, like the uh, tax collector, we may go down to our house justified. That means to be declared righteous. When that, when that tax collector uttered those short but poignant words, Jesus said he went back home declared righteous by God. Declared righteous. He wasn't righteous in and of himself. He spoke truly, I am a wicked sinner. But God, in hearing that contrition and that humil- humble confession, declares him righteous. That's the way God's works. When we declare ourselves righteous, we are not drawn to God, and we do not come away justified, but rather the opposite. And so this man, rather than the upright, uh, good works doing Pharisee, went home to his own house justified. Third, I want to ask you a question. Is there any pride in your life? And honestly, we all have to say, yes, there is pride. Let me ask you some questions that may help you identify if there's any pride in you. And I challenge you, ask your spouse these questions too. Because of all people who know you, that person will be the most honest with you. Be willing to do that and see. How about a negligent prayer life? How's your prayer life? If it's negligent, it may suggest you're not relying on God. You may be relying upon yourself. You may not think that you really need him in your life, and so that's why you haven't been spending time in prayer. Sign of pride. How about having a weary, exhausting schedule? Sometimes, not all the time. Sometimes that's the result of trying to do more than God intends. It may mean that you're not letting God order your day, week, month, or year, but maybe our desire for people to praise you, that you love to hear those words, oh, you work so hard, how do you do it? Boy, that just makes your day, you love that. That's pride, that's pride. How, how can you bear up, you're so busy. Yeah, I love that, keep it coming, keep it coming. That feeds that pride. Some people live like that. They thrive on the praise of others. How about anger? You struggle with anger? Uh, If you're not trusting God with his plan and his timing, little things may frustrate you quite a bit and may arouse anger. And that anger is there because there's pride, that things are disturbing your plan and your schedule and taking the control away from you that you really like. Sign of pride. Anger. Maybe you have a critical spirit. Do you find that bringing others down makes you feel better about yourself? That was just what the Pharisee was doing. I'm glad I'm not like him, Lord. I do all these wonderful things. Sometimes people feel like they have to put others down to feel good about themselves, but that's pride. Does God love pride? God hates that. He despises it. He puts it far from himself. How about quickly defensive to a criticism? Somebody criticizes you, maybe it's done constructively, help, trying to help you, trying to help you see something about yourself, and you get instantly defensive. You react. You become offended. That really is pride. And I tell you, that's a hard one for all of us. It's hard for me. Nobody likes to think that they haven't done well. Nobody likes to think they're not doing 
what they're supposed to be doing. But when you respond to a criticism by quickly defending yourself, rather than saying, is this person right about me? Oh, it's so easy to say, oh, what a jerk. How dare they say that about me? They're, look what their life is all about. I mean, look, who are they to tell me? And there's pride. Oh, it can come so quickly, some, so quickly. Don't let pride rob you of an opportunity to improve your walk with Christ when it comes at the hand of criticism. How about an inability to laugh at yourself? Some folks just can't laugh at their own quirkiness, foibles, goofy ways and things, as they say. And if you have teenagers, obviously you have to do that because you just won't survive because they're great to pointing those all out to you every day, all the time. If you can't laugh at yourself, if you're so serious about who you are and what you do, it might be a pride issue. It might be a pride issue. Taking credit. Taking credit. You've been a part of a team at work. Maybe you did a lion's share of the work, and all of a sudden the credit and, and the a whole team gets credited, and you feel like you should get a little bit more credit from the others. You know, we're all equals, but I'm more equal than others. <laughs> uh, that's side of pride. I want the credit. I want the public announcement. I want my name in the, I want the employee of the month. I want my, you know, I want that credit. I thrive on that. You might have lost sight of the fact that what we do in life is for God's glory and pride's taken over. We're not here for any credit. We're not here to have people praise us and put our names on trophies and plaques and, and the paper and the bulletin to say thank you so much for being such a wonderful person. We're not here for that. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. That's pride. God hates that. I'm not saying it's wrong for us to honor people that have done well. We should do that. Honor those to whom honor is due. But let's not get to the point where we really need that honor. We need that praise. We need that credit and approval from others. We just need to please one person, and that's God. Are you impatient with other people? <clears throat> you wish they'd just hurry up. You wish they'd come along. You get upset when I'm guilty. I told you I'm not a master of this. I'm guilty of that. I get impatient. Um, driving that bus. Little old lady's driving through the clinic to pick up her prescription. She's going to go 15 miles an hour all the way there, driving me crazy. Driving me crazy. Yes, I'm impatient. I admit it. That is a struggle for me. And I get annoyed. Then I think, you know, that could be my mom driving to the clinic to pick up her prescription. I hope the bus drivers down there are a little more patient with her than I am with this dear lady. That's pride. That's pride. Pride's putting my agenda above everybody else's. She's got an agenda. She's got to be somewhere. She's scared to death of having an accident and getting hurt. She doesn't want to get hurt. They have an accident. I'm going to get there and get home where I'm safe. She's driving the way she knows she needs to drive. Get there. I mean, that's what we should want her to do. We don't want her to hit the, hit the floor and uh, uh, with her, hit the pedal and just go flying up to the clinic. We want her to take her time, don't we? Well, we don't think this through. We just get annoyed, easily and quickly annoyed, and that's a sin of pride. God hates that. And then one last one, unwillingness to associate with people who don't live up to your standards. Unwilling to be with somebody because they might have a habit or a way of talking or maybe a personal hygiene issue that just, no, no, I'm never going to go around that person again. We, we do that. You know we do. That's, they're not a kindred spirit, you know. We don't really see eye to eye on organic food or politics or, or favorite TV shows. So, you know, 
I'll say hi, but I'm not going to invite him to my parties or have him over to my party or whatever. Romans 12, 16 says, don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Be willing to do that, Paul, the Bible says. Paul told the church at Rome. Now, I double-dog dare you to ask your spouse any and all of these questions and to be willing to sit and listen to it and be willing to conquer with God's grace the sin of pride in your life. How do you, how do, you do that? How should you respond? When somebody shows you you've got a, a pride sin problem, a sin of pride in your life, how should you respond? Number one, be willing to admit it. Yes, you're right. I'm not going to cover it up. I'm not going to defend it. I'm not going to turn it back on you and say, well, you're worse than I am. I'll admit it. That's the first step. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, confess means, the Greek word says to say the same thing as, to speak as, is if we know someone's going to ask us, how did you do this week? Did you have any pride issues? Did you blow up? Did you get angry? Did you get frustrated? Did you walk out? Did you hang up on somebody? Pride. How'd you do this week? The sin of pride is well represented in our country. Would you say amen to that? Sin of pride is well represented within our community. Yeah? Sin of pride is well, well represented in our church. Yes? Of course. <coughs> Sin of pride is well represented in our homes. Yes. Sin of pride is well represented in our hearts. Isn't it? Yes, it is. And if the gospel isn't good enough to fix us, How's it ever going to help them out there? It has to start with you and me. May God help you and me as we strive by the power of grace to have victory over this detestable sin of pride. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. May you accomplish all that you desire in our hearts. And when we deal with pride, Lord, it's going to be painful. It means we have to let go of a lot of things that we've kind of come close to become close to to give up that desire for the praise of others to give up that terrible tendency to put other people down to have to give up this need to say I did it my way I did it by myself we followed my agenda I made this happen that only occurred because I was there to make it happen Lord all those things it's just trash it's just garbage useless sinful. And Lord, you put them all so far from you. We don't want you to put us far from you, Lord. We want to be drawn near. And so fill our hearts with the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Philippians 2 surrendered himself to the will of his Father, even to the point of death and death on a cross. If Jesus, the Son of God, could humble himself, how much more can we? do what needs to be done in all of our hearts and lives. And where we need to confess to others, help us to do that speedily. Help us to do it in a way that brings honor to Christ. And glorify yourself as we try to please you the way you've uh, designed for us as your children to live in this world and honor our Heavenly Father so that when we do, men may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. We pray that you work in hearts and lives here today. Lord, where there is unconfessed sin, would you bring that to their minds that they might confess it and make things right where it's hurt other people? May we be willing to be the first to say, I was wrong. 
receive your forgiveness and determined by your power to forsake it and move on with our lives in a way that pleases Christ. Humble us, Lord, as you do so well. We have to scream out to you uh, to come and help us with the mess we've made of our lives. Glorify yourself as we're dismissed from this place, and may Jesus Christ be glorified in all of our hearts and lives this day. In his name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.